We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. The Field of 68's Bracketology show, aptly named Fielding the 68. We are, of course, powered by Bet Rivers. I am Jim Root from the Three Man Weave and Best Bets. You might know me from there, but I'm unimportant today because we are joined by two cornucopias of bracketology knowledge. Heat Checks Lucas Harkins, Bracketeer.org's Rocco Miller. We might only scratch the surface today because these guys know just about everything you could possibly know about brackets, but Rest assured, any question you have, any potential factoid, any historical data point, these guys have it covered. They are living in the weeds of that all the way until Selection Sunday. Thrilled to have them here. Fellas, we're going to jump right in. Not even going to say hi. I'm just going to give you a question right off the bat. I asked this a little bit last year, but I want to kind of bring it again forward this year for new, new viewers, any potential uh, uh, new audience we have. I want to ask about the eye test and how much it matters to you. Rocco, you are well-known as a world traveler. You go to every single game possible. How much do you, A, use the eye test, or B, try to at least mimic what the committee uses? Because they bring it up. They mention it. Eye test matters to them at some point or in some way. How much does it matter to you when you're putting together your projections? Yeah, Jim, that's a great question. I think there's value in it um, in terms of being able to see as many teams live as you can. I know... The way they break up the committee uh, is is somewhat regional. Um, it used to be completely regional. Now I think each member has like four or five leagues, usually one power league and two or three mid-major, low-major type leagues. And so um, fortunately for me, I try not to let it impact the process too much because uh, the, the, whole, the whole art of bracketology being on the outside looking in the room, not in the room itself, is more of an art and science, Jim, because – uh, we're basically playing a guessing game where there's 12 people having all these different discussions, going through a process. But fortunately, I've been doing this long enough where I've served on multiple different mock selection committees. And being a part of that process really helps a ton because you get to see how the order of things go, how you vote for teams. You go right down the board. You know, we have what's called a first ballot, which is the first 32 teams um, picked off the board before you start doing any of the bubble work. Then there's a whole you know seating process, scrubbing process and placement into the bracket process. So I think when people see like my bracket or field of 68's bracket, they think we're intentionally making these matchups. And uh, sometimes it just works out that way. I mean, there's just so many great storylines in the sport that uh, that just is part of the deal. And I think just to answer your larger question, it's like, you know, you go through the process and you get to a point where maybe every once in a while the eye test matters, but it's very rare from what I find. 
Lucas, you're, you're always, you know, clued in with Butler, your Butler insider for anyone not super familiar with your work. So we don't have you and me, we don't have time to go to every game like Rocco does. Uh, mm-hmm. But I know you watch a ton of basketball. You write about it from all different angles at heat check. What about you? Does, does I test factor into the way you work through this process? You know, not too much for me. I think overall it comes down to what you can see and what you can't see. I mean, we can't see every game. Every game is treated differently too. I mean, if I see a team five times, I could miss the one game. That's a huge standout performance that changes um, the way things are coming. And I think that also the way the eye test operates over the course of the season, what do you really want to prioritize? Do you want to prioritize what a team looks like in mid February or what a team looks like in mid November Uh, It changes things. So I, I try to leave the eye test mostly out of things. Um, from my standpoint, partially because I'm not the same talent evaluator or basketball evaluator that the guys at the committee are. Um, I don't know how they're going to see a team compared to how I see a team. Um, and with that, I have to stick to the more objective things that you can find in, in terms of the metrics that they use and ranking rating systems that they have um, to come up with the closest resume comparison. Yeah, that's one thing I think both of you do a terrific job of. I would go into this every year fresh like oh i'm gonna try to figure out who who the you know put these teams in order 68 but you guys are always pulling examples from the past and i think that is a really underrated ability to be able to do just off the top of your heads and important to to, to have that frame of reference as you go through making all this bracketology decisions that we have to do through a, a field of 68 but we're gonna get started let's get into the bracket as it stands today friday january 27th we will start at the top. It's easiest to do. And hey, the selection show starts there too. So why, why shouldn't we start with one seeds teams at the top of the bracket at the head of their region? Uh, I, I want, I guess we'll just go to, to one of you first here and get one seeds. We'll debate them, get the other ones, one seeds. And then we'll of course look at the, uh, the consensus bracket, what we all came up with as a group and see if we all agreed. Uh, we'll start with Lucas here. What, who are your four one seeds as it stands today? And who are you, I guess, least confident in being on that line? So the second question is actually pretty easy for me. Um, okay. My one seeds coming into this today uh, are Purdue, Alabama, Houston, and Arizona. Um, and Arizona is definitely one I'm least confident in at this point. I think that it's you can make an argument for kind of anyone, I think, on the two line for me, which is Texas, UCLA, Tennessee, or Kansas. Any of those teams have an argument to be over Arizona at this point. I gave Arizona the edge because it has five quad 1A wins. Um, which is a huge boost in terms of their top quality victories. That's my edge for Arizona. But I think that that definitely the first three feel pretty comfortable on the one line if the bracket was today. I'm um, in the fourth spot's more up for grabs. All right, Rocco, that, that's where he stands. Are yeah. you in the same boat or are you kind of in a different wavelength on that final, uh, that fourth one seed? Yeah, Jim, I, I think you could consider me in the same boat just in terms of uh, the four teams, right? So I've got the same four. I, I went ahead and put Arizona third in the pecking order, mainly because a couple of reasons. Uh, Arizona leads the nation in uh, what we call, uh, well, what I call elite wins, but what most people call quad one A wins. I, I've had a lot of names from over the years, elite wins, super wins, but um, it's basically where you chop quad one in half and you're taking the upper half of quad one. They've done that five times. Those are pretty uh, significant. They've also got six wins against the field. Um, a lot of the teams are being compared against on the two line and even Houston themselves have four or less except for Kansas. So um, that's a, that's a really nice part of what Arizona is doing. They're also looking very strong in each of the quadrant breakdowns, seven total quad one wins nine when you get into quad two. So uh, overall Arizona, um, despite the fact that 
you know, I get the biggest critic of Arizona. It's uh, the three blowout losses, uh, all three against teams outside of the field. Uh, to me, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, but I think the rest of it outweighs that just based on the fact that we're comparing them to a Houston team that lost at home uh, to Temple the other day. Um, but Houston is able to make up for that, of course, uh, with the incredibly strong uh, predictive metrics, as well as a road win at Virginia, which is a, a win on the road against a, what I call a protected seed. Uh, anybody in the in the top 16. Um, and, and that to me is something that a team like a Tennessee is missing, a team like a Texas is missing. And uh, obviously Kansas and Kansas State have their flaws uh, of late. So um, I'm going with with Arizona Houston in that order. All right. So a quick question on Houston, Lucas. Uh, last show on Monday, they they left Houston off the one line because they had just picked up that Q3 loss. They're the only team in consideration for a one seed that had a, a Q3 loss. But of course, they they backed that up with a big road win at UCF. Yeah. How much does something uh, an outlier like that, a Q three loss, or Kansas's strength of schedule being number one in the country, or the elite wins that Arizona has, are are there certain things when you look at a one seed's resume that matter more than you know? Maybe it matters more for a bubble team, but for a one seed, I want to look at this factor. Uh, how does that debate process go in your head? For me or for Rucka? Uh, Lucas, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, so I think that there's an outlier you can pick out with just about everybody on the top line if you want to. Um, you can find something to pick apart against everyone's resume. Um, and if you can't, they're already a one. Um, if you can't find anything against them, they're going to be on the one line. So uh, Houston, you can point to that quad three loss. Um, but you can also point to them being number one in the net, number one in all three quality metrics across the board, Ken Palm, BPI, um, and Sagarin. And, and at that point, it's really hard to leave them out of the conversation uh, when you're a consensus number one across analytic projections, they're probably going to land on the one line. Um, they also have more of what they kind of lacked last year. They're nine and one quad one and two this year. They've got four quad one wins, um, two of those quad one A wins that Rocco mentioned earlier. I, I think that their resume is more rock solid throughout quadrant records than it was um, maybe even just as much as last year. Um, so I would put them in that mark because of that. I think you can find an outlier for everybody. Um, that's in that conversation. Yeah, Houston was a tough team to seed last year because they were like oh. top five in every predictive metric, yeah. but didn't have the wins to back it up. Uh, Rocco, who, who is closest to cracking that one line for you of that Texas, Kansas, Tennessee group? Who jumps out to you most? I mean, I, I, Tennessee's the closest for me just based on the fact that their numbers say they should be a one seed. It's just the biggest gaping hole for them is they don't have a road win against the field at all. Um, they've got an unbelievable neutral win against Kansas, uh, which was great uh, in the battle for Atlanta's championship game. That means a lot. Uh, it's not the same as winning at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Um, a couple nice wins. USC is looking like a better win during that same event. Maryland was a nice neutral win. I think that was in New York City. But um, other than that, the Vols, you know, they've got a neutral loss to Colorado. Um, they just don't have that umph on the road like Houston has. And to me, that's the biggest difference. I, I think when you compare Houston and Tennessee, Houston just barely nips them on almost every comparison, including uh, the quad 1A category where Houston has two of those wins and Tennessee just has one. Um, but otherwise, Tennessee, it's really hard to kind of uh, naysay them because they're so dominant on defense. They're incredible when you watch most of their games. Um, so we're really splitting hairs, but it is the difference between uh, the number one line and the number two line today. And just for anybody watching that is this is this thoughts getting in their head, Tennessee's historical performance in the tournament does not matter in the one seed discussion, correct? Correct. And okay. in fact, if, the, if history repeats itself, we'll get a 16 over a one. So 
<laughs> yeah, there we go. That'd be fun. We'd enjoy <laughs> Not that. Not a bad problem to have. Not a bad yep. problem to have. All right, let's go from the top to, I guess, not quite the bottom, the, the, the bottom of the at-large discussion. So the kind of the lower middle of the bracket here, your 11 seeds, 12 seed range. We're going to talk bubble now. Teams that are hanging out just barely in or just barely out. This time we'll start with Rocco and your last four teams in. Um, there are teams to mention from Monday that got close. Um, USC had a big win. Ohio State dropped to 11 and 9. Curious to see how that landed them in your final four teams in the field. Yeah, so just to comment quickly on those two teams uh, specifically, USC's win after a full reevaluation overnight and well early this morning. Uh, I've been up <laughs> a lot of hours, uh, believe me. Um, USC climbed all the way up to a nine seed for me from uh, from that win. It's just um, everything from like a 10 seed down to like first four out. Um, it's about a group of 12 to 16 teams. There's not a lot separating them. So a win over UCLA, albeit on their home court, beating them by 14, it changed a lot for the Trojans. Um, they were already in my first four in, or sorry, last four in, whatever we're calling that on Monday. Um, so they just vaulted past a bunch of teams um, overnight, which was pretty impressive. Ohio State on the other end, they're just in a situation, uh, they're pretty far out for me. They're my fourth team out today. We'll get into that in a minute. But for, for the Buckeyes, it's just the losses outweigh the wins right now. Um, yep. You know, you look at their first two quads, they're four and eight. Um, and then you add a cherry on top with the loss to the Gophers. Um, that's not even counting that loss. So um, for now, it's just a, it's just a, a numbers game. If Ohio State goes out, I know they got Illinois coming up. They're going to have a bunch of big games in the Big Ten. Don't worry, Buckeye fans. Just go take care of your business. You'll be back in the mix. Um, they're in a less precarious situation than a, than a team in a lower division. Um, and then so for, for my last four in today, it has nothing to do with any of those teams. Um, we're, we're talking Wisconsin today, uh, mainly because, um, you know, Wisconsin's been safely in almost the entire month, but, uh, obviously some recent losses, they've dropped to 70 with their own net. I try not to look at that too much. I do love the Badgers road wins. Obviously a road win at Marquette is super impressive. Um, it just kind of gets better with age. The road win at Iowa still means a lot. Uh, that's a tournament team still. Um, it gives them a unique element compared to the rest of the extreme bubble here, uh, where most of the teams they're getting compared to don't have those types of road wins. So that's good for the Badgers. They're still five and six uh, in their 11 opportunities against tournament caliber teams. That's pretty good. Uh, most teams in this area are are pretty well below 500. They're pretty much 500. Uh, outside of that, Wisconsin's got some extreme metrics. Um, you know, so so there's I, I think they feel like a Dayton team. That's why I've got them there. Nevada, same boat, but different reasons. Uh, Nevada does have a winning road record, six and five. Unfortunately for the pack, none of those wins are against a team in the field today. Um, the only thing hitting hit Q2 is a dominant road win at San Jose State, but they'll want to improve on that over time. They'll get their chances in the Mountain West, but they do have the wins at home against New Mexico and Boise State, which stand out. Utah State's an important win at home as well. Um, and I think it's just enough. Nevada's other metrics are saying they should be in. I think that feels like Dayton to me. Um, Arizona State's my third to last team in, Jim. And at Arizona State, of course, losing an overtime wild one uh, against my Washington Huskies last night. Um, but it, it, that's fine. I, I mean, I think you look at the whole body of work always. And you look at uh, Arizona State against all the combined quad breakdowns, which I have at least six or seven. They still have a winning record in all those areas. Um, this is where your initial question, Jim, is actually a good one. So if I was the West Coast representative in the committee room, I would actually come and do a presentation on Arizona State. And I'd say, hey, Jim, winning at Colorado and winning at Oregon is not easy. Arizona State did both of those things. 
They've also, uh, you know, they've done well with the Creighton win. I know Paul Brenner didn't play. I was actually at that game. Um, so seven and three away neutral record also stands out a ton against who they're being compared with. So Arizona State squeezes in. And last but not least, the hardest decision of all, I did go with Texas A&M as the last team in, obviously coming off the big win at Auburn. And this is kind of more like, again, if I'm representing Texas A&M in the room, they just ended the, the nation's longest home winning streak at Auburn. Auburn's a very difficult place to win. They did it in convincing fashion, um, but we're talking about the whole body of work. They do have the ugly loss to Wofford. They do have some middling, you know, resume stuff that I'm not super happy about, but I compared them to Pitt. I compared them to Penn State. And I compared them to West Virginia, and I'm just slightly going with the Aggies today. Makes sense. Hey, sorry for those fan bases. That might be a spoiler. You might you might not have made Rocco's field this week, but a lot of Maybe time not. to go. Uh, you mentioned Nevada getting in. We will close this show with games to watch over the weekend. On Monday, they said Nevada hosting New Mexico was a big one for the Wolfpack. They got it done. There they are in the field. Unsurprising. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, Lucas, what about you? Your last four teams in, I'm sure there'll be some some crossover with Rocco here. Actually, not too much crossover. I think our only crossover in the last four in is Wisconsin, um, who I have as my last team in the field, and I write with Rocco on why. Um, but pretty similar overall. Nevada and Arizona State, who he had in his last four in, were, were my fifth and last, fifth and sixth last teams in, so right on the bubble there, too. Um, I think Missouri is kind of in a somewhat similar boat as Wisconsin in terms of really, really good um, resume metrics, but quality metrics that aren't quite there. Um, they've had a good season overall against good teams. They're five and five in quads one and two. Um, three of their five losses on the year are quad one A opponents. Um, so really haven't taken any bad losses either. Uh, Kentucky, I still think is just kind of hanging around the bubble. Really solid metrics. A quad four loss though kind of plummets them. Only one win in quad one um, is in a tough spot. And I think West Virginia is a team that I have a really hard time putting in the field. Um, I think the win over TCU is nice, a, a road win over Texas Tech, even a non-tournament Texas Tech team um, is, is solid. Their metrics are good. Actually, their metrics are really good, but their wins just really aren't there yet to put them in the safe spot. I think that they're um, probably the team that I probably should have had as the last team in the more I look at it as we get closer here, but they're five and eight in quadrants one, two, and three combined this year. Uh, but they get a little bit of a boost with four of those wins being in quad one. And they'll also have the advantage of such a friendly schedule for a bubble team coming down, not in terms of winnable games, but the opportunities in the big 12 are endless. Yeah. No landmines in that league. You're not going to take a bad loss in the big 12. It's it's yep. essentially impossible. 
Um, all right, we'll we'll flip it over to first four teams out. And I know we kind of mentioned some of the names here, but we'll put them up on the screen here and, and actually discuss who and why is not in the field. Lucas, I'll go to you first. We'll kind of snake draft this one back to you and then over to Rocco. So what do you got for us, Mr. Harkins? Yeah, so my first team out right now is Texas A&M. And I think Rocco hit on the negatives of them when he talked about them being in the field. And that's those middling losses. They've got a loss in quad three um, and a loss in quad four already this season. Uh, Pittsburgh has gotten a little bit closer to the field of late again, a quad four loss. I mean, honestly, this is something I brought up on Twitter either earlier this week or late last week. Well, we have a lot more quad three and quad four losses in tournament quality teams this year than in the past. Um, but that's still a mark that, that hurts, that hurts Pitt right now. Um, Penn state doesn't really have the necessary um, top end wins. They're three and seven in quads one and two pretty middling metrics um, in the 45 to 55 range across the board. Um, and, and Oklahoma, I think, needs to just get to pile up some wins. And, and as I said, with West Virginia, opportunities are going to be there to get there. Um, so they're a team I'm going to I'm going to keep on my radar, along with an Ohio State. That are just like the opportunities are there um, to make moves. What about you, Rocco? I know you said them, but let's let's get them up there and, and kind of reiterate your your first four out. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm laughing a little bit because Lucas took one of my points I wrote down about the bubble, just in terms of how many how many teams have Q4 losses. I, I'm used to seeing maybe so many. Yeah, I mean, I'm used to seeing maybe two to four uh, around this time of year. I think there's a, maybe nine or ten, uh, mm-hmm. maybe more, depending on how deep you want to go. But does, uh, real quick, can I say, does that make the lack of a Q4 loss actually a standout thing for some of these teams? It helps a little because you just you're not like I I call it like a black eye, right? Like you don't have a black eye, you're clean. Uh, now let's look at what the rest of what you got. Um, whereas if you're a team with some good wins and then you got the black eye, like like Clemson's a great example. We're not going to talk about Clemson right now, but Clemson has two black eyes, but they're winning the ACC. So it's really difficult. <laughs> yeah. How do you compare that against a clean team without as good a wins? You know, it's a it, it's a lot to consider. Um, but that's what makes the process you know um, important. So um, the last four in today, Jim. Get back to your original question. Uh, it is West Virginia, and I'll say this. Uh, West Virginia, you know, right now, uh, today, they probably should be in the field. I'm looking at this kind of more holistically. I usually don't do this, but I, I do think with the, the the grueling Big 12 and the amount of losses they're likely to take, I just think it's a being enough games over 500 situation. And I just think it's going to play out to where, you know, a West Virginia, Oklahoma State, those types of teams are probably going to fall off. Um, the, the net and all that, the metrics are, are perfectly there for West Virginia right this second, but I do not like the, the losing records and all the different quadrants. Um, obviously they haven't played especially well in the last month, but again, that, that stuff is that as, as big of a deal as, you know, what they'll have to play going forward. Now, of course, if they, if they beat Auburn this week, uh, they're playing them in the SEC challenge here tomorrow. Uh, they'll get a bunch of other opportunities that can easily quickly change. Um, the Pittsburgh Panthers, um, a team that I, I know a lot of people do have in the field. I'm not as high just based on the fact that I think, you know, they do have the four wins against the field. They're just all against kind of middling teams, NC State, Northwestern. Um, the Virginia win is really nice, but it was at home. And I do think, you know, you look at the Florida State home loss, Michigan loss right now looks pretty, pretty much like a sore thumb. I, I think it's a 2B loss today. Um, you know, I, I think Pittsburgh, if they just had a little bit more, um, on the road, they're also just slipping further and further in both sides of the, the measurements, try not to focus on that all the way, but they're uh, high fifties in the resume metrics, mid sixties in the predictives. And I just think you look at that and it's just tough to put them in. 
Um, and, and then after that, Penn State, they're a team I like a lot. I just think with that last loss, it tipped the scales a little bit. Uh, but don't worry, Nittany Lion fans, you have lots of time to fix that. Um, I really like that team. And then so Ohio – yeah, and Ohio State, uh, we already talked about. Just too many losses right now, but, again, plenty of opportunity. Yeah, Ohio State's very, very tricky because they're sitting in the top 20 in Ken Palm. And, but, yeah. you know, you can't be 11-9 and nine, make the field. It's really, really tough to do. you got to have some standout stuff, and unfortunately they don't. They're All right, five digging. Eight, they're five and eight in quadrants one, two, and three with a quad four loss. That is just tough. Yeah, that's you can't you yeah. can't really uh sugarcoat that in any way. Uh, all right, <laughs> producer Dagan behind the scenes is going to give us our consensus last four in based on the work of all our bracketologists here, not just Rocco and Lucas, but also Brad and Andy Bottoms as well. So the consensus last four in right now: Kentucky, Wisconsin, Nevada, West Virginia teams we've all broken down right now we're going to dive in a little bit more on kentucky coming up as we hit specific teams so don't worry big blue nation lots more to come on them and now we'll flip the script the other side the, the first four out for our consensus bracket that would be Pitt, texas a&m penn state ohio state so a lot of agreement here but yeah that's you know we've got four smart people looking at it that's what happens when you guys all come together and put your big brains to work um, all right, let's get into some of those team-specific things I hinted at. And we're going to start with Missouri, a team that Lucas had in his uh, last four in, one of the higher last four ins, you know, the, the fourth team away from the cut line. But this was a team that was all over the field. And uh, you can see, if you're watching on YouTube or Twitter, the Mizzou flag behind me. So I am particularly intrigued by the answers here on my Tigers. They are one of the teams that doesn't have a Q4 loss in that department. Rocco, we've heard a little bit from Lucas on Missouri so far, uh, so I'll give you a first chance to speak on where the Tigers stand for you right now, and do you understand why people might be higher or lower on their on their resume? I, I love how Missouri's the first team you picked, Jim. I don't know how you came up with that, but uh, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I, I had to think about it long and hard about which team I wanted to talk about. But <laughs> I love it. Uh, no, I, I I think Missouri's in a solid place to be selected. I, I don't see how they wouldn't be selected right now. Um, some of the upside stuff first is, you know, you look at the three wins they have against the field. I think all of them have a lot of upside still because it's Illinois, Arkansas, Kentucky. Those are three teams that are, you know, if you ask those fan bases, they're, they're expecting a lot bigger thing than what they've done so far this year. So if they turn it around in February, Kentucky's already showing signs. Arkansas maybe a little bit. Uh, we'll see what Illinois does. Those wins could just age like fine wine in, in Santa Rosa uh, the next month and a half. Um, so Missouri's got that. That that work's already done. They don't have to go do anything. They've already got those. And then you look right now, they're four and three with the away neutral. Again, when you're you're in this 10-11 seed range, uh, it's good to have a winning record in that area. Um, again, it's going to be also hard to maintain that. You got SEC road trips, and I don't care if you're playing teams in the field or not. Missouri travels a long way typically for their SEC games. It's not exactly in their Midwest footprint up there. So um, the, the, they've got great upside. They're, they have a top 25 resume by the metrics as well. So, so those are all the good things Tiger-wise. Um, the bad things are, that, you know, the metrics are starting to get upset with them. They're getting blown out too much. Um, I think we're sitting today high 50s in the combined predictive uh, metrics that show up on the selection committee's team sheet. Uh, so, again, a lot of that stuff historically, and there's not much history. We've got like three tournaments with the net so far, um, can hurt your seed. Um, so today I have Missouri at a 10 because of some of that. But but I think they're safe to get in right now. Lucas, how far would they jump with a win this weekend over Iowa State? Like how much, how, how leveraged are they on that kind of a big game here? 
You know, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier with a different team. Uh, just replace USC's name with Missouri. In uh, kind of where I feel about them is like USC made a huge jump last night um, with a win over UCLA, and I think Missouri can do a similar uh, thing against Iowa State tonight. I'm a little bit lower on Missouri than um, Rocco, but probably only by about five or six spots if he has them on the ten line um, overall. And I look at just like they're two and three on the road, which I know you mentioned neutral. They're doing a neutral slice this year, but they're two and three in road games. One of those wins was in overtime against a not very good Wichita State team. And their non-conference strength schedules hinging on 250 after playing their first seven games all at home against teams outside the top 100. Hopefully that Iowa State game amps that up. Even in a loss, it'll it'll help the non-conference strength of schedule. So uh, we'll see how that pans out. All right, we're going to stay in the SEC for the next team because it, it, we would be remiss to not discuss Kentucky, where they're at right now, uh, right in that bubble territory for our consensus bracket. It feels like they're higher because of how well they've played lately and that giant Tennessee win on the road. But that also tells you if they don't get that road win at Tennessee, they're not in the field right now. That's that's how precarious their position is. What do they need to do going forward, Lucas, to secure their spot in the field, let their metrics do a little more talking? Is it just like, do they need big wins or do they need quantity of wins? What's more important for Kentucky right now? I think it's big wins for me. They're, you mentioned the win over Tennessee, but it's their only win in quad one. They're one and five in quad one games so far this year. They have a quad four loss um, to their name at home against South Carolina just before that Tennessee win. I think they're coming to a really crucial stretch here. Three of the next four at home, uh, Kansas being a huge one in the non-conference uh, Big 12 SEC matchup. Uh, and then they get Florida and Arkansas coming, coming back at home too in this run. And I think that as Rock already mentioned with Arkansas, they're a team that can make a, a lot of noise down the stretch um, that can make a lot of teams that beat them feel really good about it. Um, so that's a big opportunity at home. Cause I think Arkansas is kind of that team that's always going to be um, in the back pocket for the SEC this year. They're 26 in the net, even though they haven't played particularly well. Um, I think that that's a group that, that a big win for Kentucky could come in that one. Uh, I think you, that they have to take care of these games, I think at home as they play through the next four after that away from home. Uh, Rocco, I don't think Kentucky came up in your last four in or first four out. So that tells me, you know, they're at least a hair safer than those teams. What yeah. are you seeing with them that has them just above that, that Dayton cut line for you? Well, I just like them a hair more than Wisconsin. So they're like the fifth team in, but, uh, okay. but yeah, one of the things that actually very incremental, uh, but they got a second win against the field because of the fact that I put A&M as my last team in. So I gave them two wins against the field. Um, but they also picked up um, a road win over Vandy. Probably doesn't sound like much to the viewers, uh, but it does start to add up in the bubble because I look really closely at what you've done in the first two quadrants on the road. And that's a that's besides Tennessee, they didn't have anything. So that gives them a little something supplemental uh, to add on. So it just made them a, a touch safer than Monday. Um, but again, opportunity-wise, they're going to get Kansas, Tennessee, Arkansas, Auburn, all at Rupp. Um, So you, you can imagine if they go 3-1 and one or 4-0 and oh in those, they're going to shoot way up the board. They also get some road chances at Arkansas and at Florida. So I think for Kentucky as a whole, um, just no more South Carolina disasters and keep playing the way you're playing. I think the wins are just going to take, uh, they're good enough and they've figured some things out with getting severe Wheeler out of the lineup. I think, I, I think they're heading in the right direction. Yeah, certainly trending up. And if you, you say in this trajectory, you won't be in this bubble discussion much longer. That's, that's Winning the key for streets. Kentucky. Winning streaks are never bad for bracketology. That's true. It doesn't matter who you're beating. Uh, let's say one more. SEC, Rocco, you just mentioned them, so I'll go to you first. Auburn, 
yeah. they are a team that Kentucky has a chance against. They just got blown out at home against Texas A&M. You yeah. talked about the, uh, the, the winning streak that's snapped there. I'm looking at my top secret data sheet here and they haven't even played uh, one of those elite games. You talked about the quad one a, right. Um, so are, are they in a position where they need one of those? How do you see the team that hasn't even had the chance to show its medal against that level of competition? Yeah, it's it's a little trickier. It's almost like seeding a team from a from a from a league like the Mountain West or the American because they all they also don't get those chances. So a lot of times, like you've mentioned earlier, a team like Houston's really hard to seed because they get like three home run opportunities a, a season, and then if they go one and two or two and one, it's really difficult to seed them. Um, Auburn's not going to be stuck in that situation. They're going into Tennessee in a week. They're going to West Virginia tomorrow. Uh, they're going to go to Kentucky and Alabama later this year. So their, their biggest games are in front of them. Um, my, my overall thoughts on Auburn is they, they're kind of safely into the six seed zone right now, uh, mainly because it's hard to argue you know, they, they played 16 games that matter. They're 12 and four in those games, two, two and two in the quad one area. Um, a, a neutral court win over Northwestern shows that they can at least beat a tournament team. Uh, outside of that, though, you don't really have a lot to bank on uh, from a bracketology standpoint. Um, I will say this. I, I did a breakdown the other night. They All four of their losses, they got crushed by the imposing uh, point guard um, where, you know, Tyrese Radford went off on them the other night. Check out the data on, on those. So I think they got to fix that problem. I know Wendell Green's a, a shorter guy. and um, They're having problems with, with a really good point guard on the other team. But beyond that, bracketology-wise, the opportunities are there. Yeah, Lucas, it's it's a solid but unspectacular profile. Would you would you agree with that? Is that where they, they land at the six? Yeah, I think that's right. I think six is about where they belong. That's where I have them, too. Um, I will say they have as many wins against my projected field, including Arkansas and uh, Northwestern, as they do wins, as they do losses against teams that aren't in the field, um, which I don't love. I think they're a team that's very, very, very safely in the field right now, but is kind of one of those groups that, like, if they don't pick up those quality wins and chances, because their schedule down the stretch is tough. They get Tennessee and Bama both twice. Um, and I think that those are games that, like, they probably need to take one of, or else they're, you know, that's four losses. Um, so I think that they're in a position right now that's extremely safe, but one that, like, they can either remain extremely safe over the next couple weeks or it can really drop off in a hurry because they don't really have – uh, much to bank on through the first two months of the year. Makes sense. All right. I'm going to hit you guys with a question each on two teams that played each other. That would be Virginia tech and Charleston. Uh, I'm going to start Lucas. I'll go to you with Virginia tech There's a team. that's 12 and eight right now, whether they're in the field or not, or, or even close to the field, I guess is pretty debatable. They've struggled in ACC play, but they're maybe one of the most leveraged on an injury consideration teams in the country. Oh, and four without Hunter Couture, but 12 and four with him in there, some pretty solid wins when he plays. How are you currently evaluating Virginia Tech and how much more does the sample as we go on with him playing matter to you in the future? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think that they're they're in my first like eight, I think, teams out or eight to twelve, somewhere in that range. 
Um, they just don't really have the resume of a tournament team right now. They have zero quad one wins. They're six and eight in the first three quadrants. Their metrics aren't really there. And as it comes to the injury thing, you know, I'm not going to give the committee a ton of credit in terms of really wagering that this year. I feel like they've really only referenced it when it comes to really big name injuries. And I'm not sure that Virginia Tech's couture really qualifies as much as it should. Um, I think it should make a big difference, but in terms of projecting what I think the committee will do, um, I think we saw with where VCU finished last year that there was very little um, discussion of Ace Baldwin missing time. And I think that like the the players that we've seen referenced in terms of boosting a team's injury status, it's like Bonzi Colson was referenced. And I think this year we'll probably see Ryan Kalkbrenner get referenced in terms of Creighton seating, but I'm not sure Virginia Tech will get as much of a boost as it probably should. That's that's why you're the best. Pulling the the example from last year of Baldwin, like that's it just echoes through. And we, we know that it's happened before. Uh, I, I will also say they lost to Boston College with Couture. So you can't really say like, oh, they definitely win those games where he was out because they lost to some bad competition without him. All right, Rocco, we, we went back and forth quickly uh, about a week ago about Charleston. And I just want to ask you about seeding that team because I think there's no question they're in. Lucas mentioned winning streaks are good for bracketology. They have the longest one in the country. So they're pretty comfortably in the field right now. But given where their predictive metrics are at, the, the chasm between that and their resume, how do you see a team like that, Rocco? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little trickier. Um, obviously, if they – the seeding element uh, has changed a little bit in the last three or four brackets that came out last since the net era took off. Um, and I think, you know, if Charleston goes out, um, and plays, you know, the, the problem is, is they're in the colonial with about 10, te- 10, maybe eight to 10 teams that are going to hurt them if they don't beat them by double digits. And so if they go beat Elon by six or Monmouth by eight, they're going to go from like 40th and net to maybe 50th. And it's kind of crazy, but um, that could hurt their seed uh, in reality. Now, selection's different. So I do think of Charleston, especially at this point, only lost maybe one more game in league, one game in the CAA tournament. They're probably still in a decent uh, position to get selected. Uh, everything is uh, favorable today. Uh, the problem is, uh, you know, even though they got the Kent State win, they got the Virginia Tech win. If both those teams are outside the bubble, which right now they are, uh, they don't have a win against the field. And uh, that could be one naysay. But typically, if you get up to like 29, 30 wins, even without a win against the field, the committee typically will find a way to get you in there. Um, and that's what I was talking to you on Twitter about. Um, so I, so overall for the Cougars, I think they're in pretty good shape today. Yep. It, it, it seems like it. It's just hard to imagine where they're at and the, the winning, the degree to which they've done it, uh, them having any sort of risk on selection Sunday, but we'll see a lot of ways to go. They have the opposite of the big 12 schedule where it's only landmines mostly for them going forward. All right, let's get to some chat questions. Producer Dagan tells me we've got some questions to hit. So we'll do that, and then we will uh, close out with some games to watch over the weekend here. Dagan, what do you got for us? Hello. Joe Schmidt wants to know, where do you see Illinois ceiling in terms of seeding? Jump in if you want to take it, guys, whoever yeah. whoever you got. Or both. It don't matter well, to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Illinois – I mean, the Big Ten right now, it's a, it's a league where Purdue's out in front, right? You're looking at um, a two-game lead in first. and So if Illinois gets hot, they're 14-6 and six today. They've got some good wins, and then you get a bunch of road opportunities. They're going to Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, Penn State, Indiana, Ohio State, and Purdue. Those are their last six road games, fellas. So you're talking about an Illinois team 
uh, that can, sh if they go four and two or better in those six road games, even if they drop a home game, uh, that means a lot for, you know, how far up the board they go in terms of the seed list. So I, I think a lot of opportunity is still in front of them um, in that, in that league, it's an elite league. You have a, a ton of chances to show, you know, by getting hot late uh, where you belong in the bracket. So I think they can do that. Lucas, anything to add or is that perfect? We can we can get more thoughts or, or move to the next question. Yeah, I think with the Big Ten right now, it just kind of feels like there's Purdue at the top and there's one or two teams every time I'd update my bracket that are in contention for the four to six seed line. Right now, that's been that's been Rutgers and Indiana for me. I have Illinois on the six. And I think that that's probably, I could see Illinois getting to a four. That's probably my really hypothetical ceiling. But the thing I'll reference, they got three games left against teams that I have ahead of them right now in the field. Uh, with Rutgers, Indiana, and Purdue. And those are opportunities. Those are huge leverage opportunities. They won't pass Purdue, but, I mean, a win against Purdue does a lot of good things for a resume. Um, yeah. So I think that they have those kind of huge leverage opportunities to make a difference. All right, what's next, Dagan? Tony Snyder, thoughts on Iowa and where they stand. Oh, staying in the Big Ten. Love yes. it. Uh, Lucas, what, what do you think of the Hawkeyes? I, I guess they've had Chris Murray out of the lineup, not Patrick McCaffrey out of the lineup. Probably a, a tough team to evaluate too, right? Yeah, I think Iowa's just one of those teams that needs wins. I think their quality wins are there. Um, they have four quad one wins, two of which are quad one A. Their metrics are all there. They're top 37 um, in all three quality metrics. It's just kind of a, a chance for them. They just need to get the wins, um, which is not an easy thing when you look at the rest of their Big, East, their Big Ten schedule. Um, Minnesota's probably is the only team outside of the Ken Palm top 75 that they play the rest of the year, except Nebraska at home. And that Minnesota game's in the road. Like they, they're going to have to get the wins – the quantity. And I think that this next three game stretch Rutgers at home Northwestern at home, Illinois at home, they need to take advantage. Exactly. 12, 12 and eight overall four and five in the big 10, 12 games to go. Uh, and, and you got to play, of course, at least one big 10 tournament game. So they need at least seven more wins. And that that's what happens in leagues like the big 10 sec and big 12, just those three, because you get too close to 500. They're not going to select you. You got to be at least two games mm -hmm. over. And then if you're doing the math on that, you got to think you're going to lose in your conference tournament. So you got to account for that as well. Um, so the magic number, I think, for Iowa is at least seven uh, and perhaps eight, depending on who they win and who they lose to. And the other thing I'll add with that is having four quad one wins already. They're a team that if they just win all three home games coming up, they're going to shoot up seedless pretty quickly. Correct. Yeah. All right. What else? Anything else, Dagan? Might as well stay in the Big Ten. <laughs> Why not? Uh, what do you? How many teams do you think the Big, Big Ten can realistically get in? Yeah, what's a, what's a max? That's it's always tricky because you know you're trying to figure out who beats who and that kind of thing. But given the way it's projected, if you have eleven teams finish nine and eleven or better in the league, what what do you think, Lucas? What's the what's the ceiling for this conference? I think the ceiling is nine. I think they get eight. Is my thought. I think, and, and I think I've realized that kind of as we've gotten these last few games, the last few days at least. Like, Wisconsin's hung on as my last team in the field right now. But, like, just the other night, it's like, okay, Wisconsin loses to Maryland. Maryland moves up. Wisconsin moves very close to the bubble. Um, and they had the same thing happen with with uh, a Penn State game relatively recently. It just kind of feels like there's a lot of teams hovering in that area where, like, if they don't have to play each other, great, but they're going to have to play each other. Yep, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm close. I'm close to Lucas there. I, I would say three on each side could still either play their way in or play their way out, maybe even more on the inside. So that's a really good answer by Lucas. Um, I would just say, I don't really fully trust Northwestern still. I don't know why. Maybe it's just history. Um, 
<laughs> but but ideally, if they keep playing the way they are, they're, they're going to be fine. They'll be in. Uh, and then you have Maryland, who's kind of teetering. Obviously, Wisconsin's first four, last four in today. Um, and then on the outside, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, and maybe even Michigan uh, could certainly play themselves back in. Today, we have nine in, I believe. So uh, it could in fact, just land, yeah, it could just land right there at nine. I feel like we're at a good number today. And I think that the, the Big Ten has a couple teams that are just like not good for the conference in terms of what could potentially happen. Like that's Ohio State sitting on the outside right now, and they're a Ken Palm top 20 team. And if they stay in the bubble, they're going to be a pretty tough out for a lot of teams that are on the cut line. Yep. Yeah, if they stay four games under 500 against the top two yes. quadrants, but they beat a couple of their bubble teams, yep. it's not great. Yeah, the old yeah. eating itself analogy, as they say. Although I'm sure um, the Buckeye fans would prefer to just win those games and get in themselves. Yeah, <laughs> certainly, certainly. Uh, all right, Dave, maybe one more question, and yep. then we'll close out with with games to watch. We'll do one more here. St. Mary's, where do you guys have them, and what do you think their ceiling can be? I have on the five, and I don't know how high they can necessarily get. Like, I don't think their metrics are going to get any better than they are right now. They're incredible. Um, like they're, they're sixth in the net, they're top 15 in BPI, Ken Palm Sagarin and KPI. Um, I can't imagine their metrics get any better. And I think that's the big bonus for teams, um, that don't have as many quality win opportunities is to have really good metrics. And I don't think there's can get any better than they are. I think it's a four or five seed ceiling. Rocco, what if they triple sweep Gonzaga? <laughs> they triple sweep <laughs> Gonzaga. I think they probably get up to a three. Um, yeah, okay. I, I, I think I was going to say, if they get two out of three against Gonzaga, uh, that's their formula to get to a four, which is a very um, specific part of the bracket, protected seeds, right? So, and that, that has double meaning uh, it, for the bracket itself. It means you can't play a 13 seed that's within 75 miles of the of the arena. So uh, it's an important distinction. Um, so I think they can get protected seed with two of those wins. And with three, who knows? I mean, uh, you still have to remember they lost to Colorado State at home. They lost to New Mexico at home. They, I mean, it's not a perfect resume by any means. They lost to UW in the wooden. So it's... um. You know they're they're playing amazingly well. They're on fire. Uh, I love them. They're they're local, but like yeah, we gotta be realistic about it. Yeah, they're one of those teams. Yeah, I love this team too. Yeah, they're blast. Watch. Yeah, they're like Ohio State and Creighton. These ones with the huge gap between resume metrics and and quality metrics that just become kind of dicey, tricky to seed. Uh, A discussion maybe we'll we'll get into the next time I host because I have questions about it, but. Today, we will, we will wrap up here with some games to watch over the weekend. Like I said, they mentioned Nevada, New Mexico is one to watch, and that had a huge impact on our bubble situation this week. Lucas, what are some ones you're looking at uh, on Saturday and Sunday, and even if there's one tonight that you're intrigued by? Yeah, I think going into tomorrow, um, one of the things I'm looking at is the Ohio State at Indiana game. I think Ohio State has the quality metrics that really back up them being a better team than their resume is. Um and I think if you're a Buckeye fan, it's about time to show it um, kind of kind of time. So I think that they can go and get um, an opportunity at Indiana um, is a big one. It's also a statement opportunity for Indiana to prove that like this recent stretch of play is for real and that they're going to be in that competition for as Rocco references as a protected seed um, kind of conversation. So that's one of the games that I'm really looking forward to um, tomorrow. Rocco, anything that uh, a couple maybe we'll give you one or two or three. What 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 really jumps out to you here? Well, I've got to um, I've got to just give a quick shout out to my my friends down in Florida. Uh, obviously, trying to play their way back into the picture right now, but they have an enormous opportunity going to Kansas State. 
you know, Kansas State's been an unbelievable story. I think we're all on board the Tang Coach of the Year train. Um, but if Florida somehow gets that win, I think it changes a lot of things for them from a non-conference standpoint. The Big 12 SEC Challenge just um, presents that last nail in the coffin for all the non-conference metrics. Um, and that's a real big opportunity for Florida to do something. Um, not saying they're favored to win or anything, but if they go get it, they've been playing well lately. Uh, it is conceivable. Um, so I'll throw that one out there. I do think all the teams in our mix of first four out, last four in are pretty much in big games. You know, Arizona State and Nevada have tricky road games against non-tournament teams. Um, Ohio State at Indiana. Obviously, if the Buckeyes get that, we have to do a whole clean look at Ohio State again like we did with USC last night. So definitely watch that game. Florida's a fun one to mention because it, it, I know the Big 12 is a gauntlet, but you're, it's tough to find a harder four-game stretch than the, what they have right now. At Kansas State, Tennessee at home, at Kentucky, at Alabama. That is that is a gauntlet for the Gators there. Lucas, one more thing to add? Yeah, if I would add another couple in here, I think that like we've mentioned Creighton and Arkansas as two of those teams that have um, pretty big gaps between their quality and resume metrics. Both have big opportunities to kind of even those out. Um, Creighton gets Xavier at home. Arkansas goes at Baylor, and then the kind of the moving day game of the of the of Saturday to me is NC State at Wake Forest. Um, Wake Forest is kind of on the outside uh, looking in right now, but a team that's that could be in threatened rope that could be a threaten uh, could threaten for a bid. And I think if they get a home opportunity against an NC State team that um, is currently in the field for me. Unsurprisingly, a ton of huge games when there's 148 of them on Saturday. Long ways to go, still a month and a half, like 45 days until Selection Sunday. We will be with you. That's right. Huge one in the MAC, Metro Atlantic. Uh, We'll be with you all the way up until Selection Sunday, Mondays and Fridays, 5 p.m. Eastern. You will get the full bracket from our consensus bracketologist here coming out after the show. So keep an eye on the Field of 68's Twitter page, and you'll, you'll get to catch that there. We will be back on Monday, breaking down all the action that happened over the weekend, how it impacted the one seeds, the bubble, some of our specific team uh, team questions. So we will see you all then. Appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you for the questions. We'd love to have a little interaction at the end there. For Rocco, for Lucas, I'm Jim Root. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.